moments. It's been most often in the mornings, not every morning, but most often in the mornings, I feel like, all right, I'm still here. I'm good. Maybe after I do like my yoga, my little workout, I just feel charged up. Um, usually after sharing, like doing some, uh, I've been getting back into writing because I took some time off because I was just, I was too stressed out to even want to write. But I've gotten back into writing and creating and doing a lot of online performances. And they've actually been giving me a lot of hope. So hi, everybody. It's Friday. It is June the 19th. Um, it is um, quite popularly at the moment, and I hope for the future, known as Juneteenth, which is um, you know, a word or a term I don't think that many Americans would have used um, two weeks ago. And now it seems to be on the lips of everybody, which is pretty cool. And, and um, I'm going to describe it, and I'm going to welcome Alicia NRP. Hi, guys. Alicia, I'm going to give you a more formal introduction in a moment. But just by way of background, so Juneteenth, it's also known as Freedom Day or Emancipation Day. It, it's from June 19th, 1865, when Texas freed the last slaves who were still being held two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So this was well after the, the, the time that legally they had been freed, but practically they had not. Uh, Lincoln was assassinated two months before this date. Um, and so uh, that's what it's meant to both remember and then I, you know, what I've been told by many people is also to celebrate. Um, so it's a day of remembrance and a day of celebration. One of the things you guys have heard us talk about over the months, and, and Alicia, this show was primarily started as a response to COVID because of RP's expertise in that specific field, but then more generally in government and business and in other places. Um, and it's evolved over time. But one of the things that RP has talked a lot about is um, that statistics don't tell very good stories, narratives do, and that people, um, the imprints on their souls tend to come from the narratives, you know, the narratives. And, you know, my own um, sense of poetry, which is rare, you know, I don't like spend a lot of my days in poetry. Um, I guess you could say that there's poetry and music and poetry and other things, and I spend more time in those places. But as I've gotten older, I've come to have this profound respect for poetry as like an a, a emotional storytelling efficiency that's very powerful. And, and I, I think, think that, that you're someone who's particularly, particularly powerful, powerful in that realm. I want to mention one other thing, which is that RP and I are two white men um, who have our own perspectives. I think we hope to be open and hope to be part of solutions, but we also, I think, recognize our limitations. Um, and that, um, you know, I think you can help us individually to the extent that you're open to that and others who are watching. So I just want to recognize that as we kind of dive in here. Um, so Alicia is a poet who I came to know through a friend of mine, Mick Eveling actually connected me with you. And then she spoke at the Nantucket Project, performed at the Nantucket Project and has performed in a variety of ways with us since. And at the moment, we're hoping to put a trip together where we're going to travel the length of the Mississippi and do a series of conversations along the Mississippi. Um, but she's the co-founder of SLAM, which is the spoken literature art movement. Um, and it's about poetry education. And she um, is a teaching artist for street poets, um, which, 
you know, you think about that and you think about that in these times. And, you know, if I would hope to accomplish something from our trip, Alicia, um, it is to sort of elevate your words and your message and tie it into a, a, a big message that is sort of foundationalized by poetry. You know, at the moment, the notion is, can we open and close each of these episodes we're going to build with poetry? Uh, and that's that's the idea. Anyway, that was a big and long introduction. And I I um, but I wanted to set the context in a way that I hope is useful. Um, but before we go on, just Alicia, hi and welcome and RP, feel free to jump in. But respond to anything I said, Alicia. <laughs> you said a, a lot of great things. Um, hello. Um, thanks for having me again. Uh, I, yeah, I was I, I was struck by um, what you said, uh, something that RP said uh, about uh, narratives being more powerful than statistics. Uh, I don't know if I misquoted that, but I just, I really latched onto that because it's something I've been, I've had in my head for many years and I say that quite often. And um, yeah, it, I just, that really stuck with me. Um, today is a very complex day in my head. Um, I, it's a celebration and it's also like, I'm I'm really happy that somebody said you're you're allowed to be finally free, all the way free, I guess, uh, whatever that means. So it's like I have these battles in my head when it comes to Juneteenth, but overall it is a celebration and um, I'm glad this day is getting more recognized for sure. Yeah. Um, and Alicia, when you think about um, the way I described poetry, which I don't remember the words I said exactly, but I always think of it as an efficient storytelling device that can touch your soul. Efficient. Mm just time it's quick how do you react to that yeah it, that's that's what it is i mean i i always poetry has a way of yeah delivering a message that you've probably heard over and over maybe from a mentor maybe from some random adult <laughs> your teacher your parents um we hear messages all the time um and it, it probably goes like right over our heads but poetry has a way of really getting right to you and, and just taking things and just delivering it to you in a way that really just, yeah, touches your soul and your heart. And um, I'm grateful that uh, that happened. That's what happened to me. I just heard a bunch of poets speaking some truth. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I was very young. And I was like, I, I was very impacted by that. Um, just telling me things that I probably heard before, but in a way that really struck me. And I said, I want to, I want to make change. Like I'm, I'm fed up. And it was something about the way poetry was delivered to me. And I wanted to be part of that solution. And when you, so when you sort of dove into this world, how satisfying is it? Now, I, I'm, I'm, so in my head, what, here's what I'm imagining. Like, first you start with like strong feelings and ideas, then you start creating art, then you create audience and it's, and it, you know, the satisfaction of it waxes and wanes. Is that true? Am I describing that right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's really, I used to have, I guess, I used to be able to say, this is how the journey goes. But overall, I mean, there's really no um, formula to it. I mean, overall, it's very satisfying just knowing, first of all, I believe this is something I was too, um, I guess, proud to say a few years ago, but I believe strongly in what I do. Um, I believe in my voice and the impact it has. And to have that belief and know that people in the room are going to be impacted by that and want to actually do something um, after you speak, that's such a um, responsibility. It's such a charge. It's such a, um, it's also very, it's an adrenaline <laughs> rush at the same time. That's not why I do it, but it is, you know? Um, so yeah, it's to answer your question. Yes, yes, yes. 
and yes. Do you, when you think about that adrenaline rush, um, um, and one of the things that I've come to know is that the power of focus is just so intense. You know, there's some, and that those things that bring us to that place of focus for me are rare. And so when I'm in that moment, that um, adrenaline seems to fire up. Does that make any sense to you? Like, how, how, how do you react to that when you describe the adrenaline thing? Yeah. Uh, so what, what happens on stage when I feel that rush um, or what happens, it's not even just on stage because I've been doing a lot of my performances via Zoom and I, I, I don't feel the same, but I still feel very, um, yeah, charged up. Uh, and what really gets me is not knowing or not thinking, oh, the audience is going to react a certain way. It's not about that. It's like, I have a responsibility right now. I believe that I have uh, um, the power to deliver this message. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm really, really, really passionate about every single thing I write. And that's important. And um, coming from someone who's also a teaching artist and who has a lot of students and who teaches poetry probably way more often than I perform it, um, I, I encounter people who sometimes get into this for reasons that people get into a lot of things. It's like, oh, I saw poets go viral on YouTube, so let me try it, you know? And I notice a difference in the energy. I notice a difference in the passion. Even if that some, somebody is a really great performer, there's something missing there. So my heart is always connected to it because it's not about the applause, even though that is a plus, I'm not gonna pretend it isn't, but it's, the, it's what I'm doing it for. Um, and, and that's, I'm so grateful because when I was 11, that's what got me going. That's what got my heart beating, hearing poetry and being affected by the message, seeing who was delivering it, and um, then realizing I could do that same thing to this day. That's what gets me going. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to play a clip, Alicia, of you um, at our place. This is, this is um, last fall. Since we're together, we might as well try. Since we're together, we might as well say, I am here, I showed up, I am willing, I see you. I am a blank page and I'm asking that you trust my rough draft. Won't you please, won't you please, won't you please, 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 neighbor. Okay, so for me, you know, the notion of neighbor, which is the notion of our trip, okay, and, and the idea is that um, conversation is the answer, right? Um, and that's what we mean by neighbor. Like, loving thy neighbor is the root of it. Um, and, you know, when we do that gathering, we're there for four days. And I, I'm trying to highlight something that we were just discussing, and that is that I, I'm going to speak as a producer, and a producer who has a hope. And my hope is that we can translate our message. And if you're a producer and you're trying to translate a message and somebody like Alicia stands on the stage and delivers, you just saw a small part of what she delivered. Um, that's a gift. You know, for me, I'm like, wow, I just got a heavy and intense dose of what I had hoped for. And that's why, that's why I think of it as an efficiency. And I, you know, there's another part to this. There's probably many layers to this, but you know, your body language, your intonation and the performance itself in addition to the words, is very powerful. How do you feel about the way I described it? Because there's something maybe crass about being a producer, but maybe there's hope in the message. But how do you react to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I can't, you know, when it comes to you being a producer, you know, that's if that's how you feel, I can't take from that at all. Um, but you, you mentioned um, something about, like, you know, your your body language and everything. And, um, yeah, it's just, I don't just treat the poem as, like, okay, I'm delivering a poem. There's something about everything that goes in it, um, including the body. I always, I tell all my students that your body is directly connected to your craft. And that doesn't mean you have to be quote unquote well or healthy. It just means being in tune with yourself and being honest with yourself. How do you feel? And let that, let that uh, flow through your performance. And it doesn't, you know, I'm a theatrical performer. It's just, that's how I perform. But I know people who are very still when they're up there. Some of my favorite performers don't move at all. I've seen some people who are just, look you right in their eyes, but that's their body language and that's their body connecting with the audience and it does something and it's believable and it's powerful because it's honest, you know? So I say, however you're connected to the work, let that flow out. So um, yeah, whatever you receive from it, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> you being a producer, if you get something. That's also my goal. I want to make the people in charge of this event very happy. And I remember that day, I was super nervous. I was like, please get into the work, Alicia, remember the message, because um, I was I was very nervous before I got up there. <laughs> well, I'm glad, and thank you for that. RP, I'm going to, um, you know, one of the themes that we've been talking about over the last few months, and Alicia, you may have seen some of it or none of it, and either way, there's, I'm, I don't take offense if you haven't been walk, watching, but I do want to point out that one of the things that I've repeated over and over again, and it was particularly, it became profoundly obvious to me on my trip, is that when people say the system is broken, I, I don't want to argue, yes, it is or it isn't, but I think the culture is more broken than the system and the culture has more power than the system. And, um, and so what, what, what I think we just witnessed is a lot of culture. You know, this is like a, an ethos of a people that is forming. And, um, you know, RP, somebody who comes from the realm of government and hears me kind of saying this over and over again, I mean, I think in some ways, I don't want to overstate and take but, you know, I think we've had a melding philosophically, RP, of sort of like one of the things like expertise or the relationship between charismatic leaders and people with expertise. And then this question of like how a system of culture interacts with a system of government and how those things work. Just curious how you might react to any of that, RP, and sort of this journey and anything that you've heard from Alicia. Uh, Hi, Alicia. Good to see you. Um, I was in the audience when you did the uh, poem that the, the clip just represented, and it was so powerful and awesome. So thank you. It's it's a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, I mean, Kara's telling stories, right? Like, you know, we we don't learn from stats. We learn from stories. We learn from poems. I was watching a bunch of Alicia's poems this morning. Uh, absolutely rocked me. And, and that's what a leader can do, right? That's what a narrative can do. Um, that's what we've talked a lot about. I think, I think Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General from Obama, gave us a really great lesson when we sat with him. And Vivek said, you know, there's, there's, we're being attacked by a disease. It's a pandemic. That's a moment of horror, period. There's movies about that. That's a horrendous thing. We got that. Um, then we have, um, this is pre-George Floyd. And then we have a situation where we don't know that we as herd animals can look to a leader to protect us. I don't think very many Americans feel like we're being well-led and protected in the face of this enemy. So that in and of itself is you know, a problem, right? But it creates this dread, this fear, this fog inside all of us that cycles into other negative, negative things. 
So the charismatic leader, charismatic or not, the person who is able to convey to us a message, in this situation I'm talking about a message of hope and protection that we don't have, um, is a very integral thing to who we are biologically, right? Like we literally have parts of our brain looking for the alpha leader so we can follow them. We are herd animals. If we don't find that alpha leader, if we're not that alpha leader, and we don't find that alpha leader, we are uncomfortable if we don't know where we're headed. And that uncomfort, you know, leads to really negative outcomes. So um, one way to lead, you know, just think about the best speech you've ever heard, the best, the most motivated you ever were. It was from a story. Yeah. Do you think of these things, Alicia, in that way? In other words, I mean, RP was using terms like alpha and leader and those kinds of things, which I happen to agree with him. Um, but do you ever think of it in that way? Do you ever think of yourself like, what role do I play in leadership, et cetera? Uh, I do. I think of the responsibilities I have quite daily. Just yesterday, I had a, a big talk with myself and with uh, some friends just about like when you step into, as a poet, I don't think just because you're an artist or a poet or whatever, you have to become a leader or you have to assume some type of responsibility. But when you put yourself out there like that, which I have for many years, um, you know, I have students um, in front of people giving speeches, um, um, talking about really important, heavy topics that are transformative, especially to the communities that I represent. So in that way, I've set myself up to be a leader. And, um, but I also think about what that means. Like when I think of leadership, I think of setting an example. I think of being responsible. I don't think of like, I'm, uh, I'm in control or I am the lead of this like flock. I think of I'm part of the community and I just have more of responsibility, more of a, for lack of other words, like a higher, I don't want to use the word hierarchy, but that's the word in my head. Um, I like to think of, when I think of community, I don't really necessarily think of leaders. Now, I know it's necessary. I know it's necessary to uh, have people who are kind of uh, delegate things and uh, someone who, uh, I guess is in charge, but overall, I think of a, a community kind of leadership. I think of people coming together to work together and that's how I've been functioning for a long time. And that's how I kind of um, want more of our communities to function. Um, and yeah, it's been a conversation even right now with all of the things going on with protests and everything, we're talking about more ways that community can serve. So yeah, this I, got, I have a back and forth, but I know I have more responsibilities. So yeah, I am a leader in a lot of ways, but. I want to be part of the flock at the same time. I'll just give you one, you know, leader, all these words are pretty, pretty broad and um, yeah. inarticulate tools until they come out of your mouth, in which case they're amazing. But, you know, you, I, I watched some of your videos today. You have one, I think it's called Good Guy. And <laughs> it's, it's about two minutes long. And watching that video, you led me, I followed you into a series of thoughts I hadn't had before. Just that simple, right? Now, you can lead someone to action, you can lead them to thought, I don't know. In that instance, I was your follower, you led me, I realized things I hadn't realized before, uh, and that was, that was pretty neat. Yeah, that, by the way, sorry, did I step on you there, Alicia? Were you gonna say something? No, I just, I, I just had a moment, cause like, out of all the poems, if you, if you ask me to think, like pick the poems that like, might demonstrate my leadership i wouldn't have picked that one but it makes sense it does make sense it's just i i was kind of like happy you chose that one because usually sorry usually people will pick something that's like super 
that's about like me being a black woman or like something that has to do with race more than something that has to do with like, you know, about men when it comes to uh, yeah leadership. It's just, it's just interesting. That's all. That's well, it was because, that's a, you know, it was because it talked to me, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think of myself as a good guy. Like that's something I take a lot of pride in. Uh, I thank my parents for it. I think of myself as a good guy. And so those two words, again, words, right? But, you know, I have an image of what that means and what I try to live up to. And then in your poem, you talk about a very different, you, you talk, I think, about someone sort of abusing that concept uh, or people abuse. Right. I don't know. I don't want to yeah. interpret it. I'll tell you what, that's what it sounded like to me. Um, so that's why that moved me. Yeah. Yes, you're on point. That's what it is. <laughs> well, you know, it's... um. For me, and this is a net feeling I have, my net feeling is hope. And when I say net, net of the last three months, the last three months have been a really profound three months filled with challenge. And but the net feeling I have is one of hope. And the hope has to do with, um, you know, kind of what you were just describing, RP, which is like, you know, things get crusty. It's the, that's just nature that things get crusty. And how do that how does that crust get removed and opened and then improved upon? Well, sometimes it happens through struggle. Often, frankly, it happens through struggle. And then the question is, like, can you sustain an energy or build an energy? When I was hearing you talk about leadership, Alicia, all I could think of is like being your sister's keeper or your brother's keeper. And that the, that is leadership and, and, you know, it's like servant leadership, which is derived of love. Like, that's what it is. If you're going to put your energy into like a humble approach to your gift. So I believe in Dharma. I just do. And Dharma, for those of you who don't know, is essentially what you were born to be. OK, and I believe in that. Um, and that and that there's like this miracle of creation from whatever source you want to believe that seems to be the case that someone's going to bake incredible food and someone else is going to you know, and this mix of things, and someone else is gonna tell the stories, which means, by the way, and I think this is so critical to story, they have to be observers, right? They didn't just, this didn't come from nothing. These are people who are observing reality and really considering reality and then synthesizing reality and sharing reality. Now, very often we just, it's the sharing that we receive, which is probably the act of leadership, but that act of leadership began with a passion and a curiosity that was the observation. Like with no observation, there's no there's no message. And so I think in that spirit, I think of you. I mean, that that's what I mean, I was using the boring terms. What do I want as a producer? I want someone to lead these people down a path. So you're leading, period. And you're you know, and, and in that moment, I'm like, get the fuck out of the way. Like, let her do this. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm mentioning that because me, too. I don't like the word leadership because I, mean, you know, I, I and yet I believe in it, like, you know, when we're in school, like learn how to be a leader. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever that means. It is such a mess. Um, you know, you go in the leadership section of bookstore, you know, it, it is just, it's again, it's just such a, it, the word means nothing because it means everything. Um, but if people follow you, you're a leader, follow you to thought, follow you to action. Um, and then there's followership that matters too. And you mentioned server leadership. I think that's such a critical. Point. A quick thought, and I don't know if this is completely putting on the spot, and Tom, I'll let you decide if this is a bad idea as well. Is there any way we can get you to read Good Guy while we're together today? If it's fine with y'all, you know, it's a very explicit poem. And so, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I, I, yeah. I don't mind. Do you need a minute to do it? 
You yeah, want to us... my phone. It's in here somewhere. Okay. Okay. I don't. Uh, I don't uh, think I know if I heard. So while, so you're, while looking, you're looking, um, think think about, and I don't want to disrupt you, but when I mention the 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 hope, can you identify? Like, how do you feel when I say that? As, as hope, hope is, is my, my well, hope is my net position on where we are in life today. If you like, if I woke up this morning and say, "How do you feel about your life and the state of the world?" The predominant thing for me is hope. How, how do you react to that? Yeah, I've had I've I've had a lot of um, moments of hope in these last three months, and it, it goes in and out. Uh, there are moments where I'm like, "Well." Nobody's trying to do anything. People are complacent, <laughs> whatever. But I'm gonna continue to be myself and be a, uh, the person I know I am, but I'm kind of just losing hope in people. Um, so that word is still there. It's just a, a different feeling. And then I have moments, it's been most often in the mornings, not every morning, but most often in the mornings, I feel like, all right, I'm still here, I'm good. Maybe after I do like my yoga, my little workout, I just feel charged up. Um, Usually after sharing, like doing some, uh, I've been getting back into writing because I took some time off because I was just, I was too stressed out to even want to write. But I've gotten back into writing and creating and doing a lot of online performances. And they've actually been giving me a lot of hope. Um, just seeing even people on the Zoom screens, people who are uh, committed to seeing change, committed to uh, just like, I'm I'm, I want to be a good person. I want to show up. Um, even if they're flawed, they're like, I'm showing up. And those people, they give me hope, you know? So I've had more of that than I've had moments of uh, just feeling kind of frustrated and lost and discouraged. Um, so yeah, I hold on to that word. I know I, I, I know a lot of people who don't like the word hope. They're like, we need more than hope, forget hope. But it's, I feel it. I, I'm more of a person who gravitates towards like energy and what I feel in here than I do like well, this is happening and, you know, statistics say blah, 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 you know, we might not make it. Um, I'm more of like, I feel it here. And more often I've been feeling that we're, we're going to be good. It's just not going to be easy. Are you ready to read the poem? Sure. Y'all ready? Ready, ready? ready to go. <laughs> Tom, this is intense. Prepare yourself. Right. Okay. Good guys are everywhere and they don't see me. Good guys pull out the chair. Good guys hold the door, unlock the passenger side first. Good guys drive, safe, fast. Good guys need you to like it. Good guys say, try this, read this. I taught you this. Good guys say, trust me. Good guys say, well, fuck you then. Good guys fuck like they're wearing a suit and tie. Good guys smack that ass. Good guys graduate for the ass. Good guys flex and sweat and touch themselves in public. Good guys tell you to cover up, bitch. No, not bitch. Good guys don't say bitch. Good guys love good women, hate bitches. Good guys are everywhere looking for bitches. They are in the clubs and on the bus and in the office and wherever women die from all men. I once met a good guy at a party. He spoke nice, asked me out. I said, I am engaged. He snarled, well, I am a doctor. I met another good guy in a record store. He grabbed me like I was asking to be bought. I said, don't touch me. He responded, why y'all always got to act like that? The remaining details of these stories don't matter. They both involve other men who saved me. How convenient. Good guys are everywhere and I can't tell who is what. 
Good guys are everywhere and I am looking at at least one for saving, but sometimes the room is full and I say no and a fist swings my way and all the good boys back against the wall and a platinum card and sweet smile and let me buy you a drink type of good shakes its head and lowers its eyes so low it does not see. And I am 16 years old again, fleeing from a glass bottle down our dark alley, running, running, running without a good guy to help me home. Wow. So I find myself definitely on both sides of that poem. Um, is that the idea? or <laughs> <laughs> The idea of the poem... I don't, the idea of the poem is just everything I've, uh, especially grown up where I grew up, uh, grew up um, and just, yeah, just observation. I know there are actual good guys out there, but like RP said earlier, there are those who um, uh, abuse that term and who um, actually I've seen them say, you know, come on, I'm like, you girls don't want a good guy, I do everything for you. And they think that's a, a permission to, yeah, manipulate women and to, a, a, yeah, take advantage of women. And I've experienced that firsthand, especially growing up in the neighborhood um, that I did. And uh, not saying that misogyny and stuff is more um, prevalent in Black communities and inner cities, um, but that's, you know, that's my narrative. That's my story. So uh, I definitely know that it's heavy there and um, nothing's really done about it. So, yeah. Had to write I'm... that poem for all the, the guys who were like, not me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time somebody said to me, the road to hell is paved with good intention, which I think I was like 35 when I heard it. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 the, the minute, minute I heard it, I was like, there I, there I am. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. me. I, I, think, I, think, I, think I think that's enough. And it was, you know, and you know just, and the just the notion, the notion that it was the road to hell. Hell. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Anyway. Anyway. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to bring, I'm gonna bring in, in who I think, I think is a good guy. guy. I, think I think he's a good, he's a good guy. guy. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure he's a good guy. He certainly has elements of him that make him a good guy. Um, and I thought it might be an interesting way to sort of consider the moment. Um, and uh, it's, I just have a little bit of the clip, but I think you both will remember it. I hope you both remember it. Um, and I think you were both were there. So let's try this. I've done some research. I'd looked for some examples where justice prevailed and equality triumphed and liberty won and nobody had to do anything uncomfortable or inconvenient. I can't find any examples of that. And that was um, from last fall. That's Brian Stevenson. For those of you who don't know Brian Stevenson, he runs the Equal Justice Initiative uh, down in Montgomery, Alabama. And among other things, he has sort of brought out, um, he's built a, a system of memorials to lynching He's also gotten many innocent people off of death row and, and other uh, sentences. Um, but he also is just a very thoughtful person who speaks poetically. You know, I think he, he speaks beautifully. I, I don't know that you'd call him a poet per se, but he sort of certainly speaks beautifully. And, and I, I, I wanted to put this clip in because it relates to the clip I showed of you, which was about neighbor. It, it relates to the notion of being together, of community. And to me, it's a place that um, is the right ask right now, which is to be proximate. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about be physically together. 
with people like you and unlike you. And there's an answer there that is um, about truth and love. That, that, that's my interpretation. First of all, do you think my, how do you feel on my interpretation? And you can say whether or not you think he's a good guy, too. <laughs> I actually remember uh, I was there. I, that was one of my favorite. Um, it's, it might have been my favorite. I can't remember. There was some dynamic speakers, um, but definitely one of my favorite speakers. And I was, first of all, impacted because when it comes to um, just the uh yeah the american justice system the prison system and everything i'm very um invested in in that and in, in what's going on and um i was just especially working for street poets where we directly work with um incarcerated and previously incarcerated people mostly youth um so yeah i was just all the way in and he just he genuinely felt like a good guy there are people who do great work but i don't think are good people all the time and granted i don't know him um personally but yeah i just felt like i was like this is a really good person doing work that i believe in so i i, I was super i'm a fan yeah. yeah and tell me how you feel about either one of you guys you know this notion of to be proximate you know i feel like um you know one of the themes that we've been focused on for the last couple of weeks is about being willing to be uncomfortable um, and then I think the other part of this is, you know, if you want to be part of something beneficial for the future, I keep saying get in your car. Now, that just assumes that you live near people who are different to you, but you might need to get in your car to get there. But that's very different than going online, and that's very different than reading a book, and that's very different than other things. I'm just curious how you think about that concept of being proximate, and what does that mean, and how can people practically think about that? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick thought. I'd love to hear what you think, Alicia. But um, Tom, when you talked a lot about exactly what you said, get in the car. We saw a lot of clips from your, your, the Muscle, Muscle Shoals Manifesto trip. And I kind of knew it made sense, but it didn't, I didn't quite get it. And now we're, I don't know, what, a week and a half into this car trip. And I totally get it. Um, and even though at home, you know, we were self-quarantined, I tried really, really hard not to read the clickbait media. And I tried really hard not to read divisive things. Um, I didn't realize how polarized I had become. And, and I think you might recall, I was really pretty negative right before I left. And I was at a moment probably of the most negative I've been about our country ever right before I left. And... Um, a variety of things kind of got me back to be more optimistic, but a big one has been getting out and, and being proximate, meeting folks in, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin and North Dakota and South, uh, South Dakota, excuse me, and Montana, um, and, and just being reacquainted with how extraordinary the people in this country are, how kind they are, how thoughtful they are. Um, you know, we, we had to cancel hotel reservation yesterday, something super simple. We gave her a credit card, we paid for a room. It's a pretty high season time there. Kelly called up and said, there was snow in the pass, we couldn't make it, which is kind of neat. But we literally got stuck on the top of a mountain and had to turn around because uh, there was snow in the pass. And we called the hotel up, fully expecting to have to pay for the room. I wouldn't have minded. It was 10 at night and the guy said, you know, these are complicated times. We have to do everything we can for each other. And everyone in the car, including my six-year-old, we all were just touched. Um, and, and I'm, you know, you get to you get to get reacquainted with that and it's fantastic. Uh, and that's proximity. It's getting out and seeing people and not seeing what the world gives you over bits and bites over these screens. 
Yeah, can can you? I, I got lost in that story. That was yeah. Can you repeat it one more time, just so I can make sure I'm uh, answering it correctly? Well, well, I, I'm curious if how do you think about? I mean, look, the idea of the trip, right? We're going to go down the Mississippi River, and we're going to. I mean, you know, let's be honest. There's probably a moment where we're all going to want to get away from each other. Um, but the idea is that we're going to get hyper close to other people. Physical. I mean, we'll, we'll wear masks, but um, and uh, we want to really understand the nuance of the truth of people who aren't like us. And I just don't know if you can do that without being physically close to each other. Like we're talking about physical proximation to each other. And if we do that and if we do that regularly, I believe and if I have a hope, it is that that's how we're going to improve our culture. And that's asking us to do something that many of us don't do much anymore because our computers do the work for us. I'm just curious how you feel about that overall. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I love gathering people together. Um, it's something I've been doing for quite some years, and it's kind of interesting for those who know me personally because I don't like being around people. <laughs> so hear, hear me out. Like, on my own, I'm just like, yeah, I'm very introverted. I'm very by myself. But um, when it comes to community and when it comes to uh, just, yeah, wanting to feel something I like to email people and say hey I'm having this uh, black women necessary brunch or I'm having this uh, community gathering at my home um, I'm bringing people together at this venue down the street um, so this pandemic has really affected me a lot right now because one of my favorite things to do to try to lead um, back to that word and to try to be there for community is to bring community together it's one of the reasons why I really loved um, when I went to uh, Nantucket Project because the, the whole idea was something that I've done on a very smaller scale, not the not that type of event, but just bringing people together. Um, so I do believe that that's a healing thing that we need. Um, I'm very discouraged that, you know, not only are we trying to do the same thing on these screens, but I also believe these constant screens are very unhealthy for us. Um, my physically, my body has been, uh, even my eyes have been darting back and forth. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. Um, so I miss that. I know I need that. And um, I'm just, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm very nervous. You know, I've been, I've been paying attention probably too much because I want someone to just magically say one day, oh, we're fine. <laughs> it all disappeared, <laughs> you know? Um, and then while waiting for that unlikely uh, announcement uh, right now, um, I'm also seeing reports of how, you know, it impacts like uh, more vulnerable communities, um, African-American community, indigenous communities um, and, and whatnot. So it's, it's been a lot and uh, to be separate from people. I had my first hug ever in the, well, not ever. In the last three months, I had my first hug outside of my husband um just a few weeks ago because a friend of mine was like oh I got I just got you know I got tested my results came back I'm fine um and I was like I need that hug and I don't even like hugging people either <laughs> I don't I, I'm good without a hug <laughs> but I that was like one of the best hugs I had in a long time so yeah I miss it I miss it so much um but I'm also I'm relying on the experts and at the same time I don't trust a lot of people <laughs> so tell me like when you you mentioned um and RP has talked a lot about this over the over the weeks um, that it, uh, you know, the communities that the disease impacts include people of color as a, you know, a, a higher what, whatever the word is. It, it impacts those communities more than others. How, 
How do you react to that? Like, how do you feel about that? Uh, I feel like it's another part of um, environmental or no, not environment. I just feel like it's another aspect of like what we're talking about right now, just race. And, and I really do feel like a lot of people have um, dismissed it because of that. Um, am I 100% sure? No. Um, I've even had this talk with my husband, you know, it's not just, it's not just like about, oh, I feel like white people feel that way. Um, although that's part of it. Um, I've had friends and stuff, you know, family members, I'm not going to call them out because they might be embarrassed, but who are like, you know, just chilling and like, you know, partying. Some of them are in the medical field. Um, and it just makes me wonder if this was something that was like, if it was constantly being said that it was affecting everyone at a very, very like uh, uh, devastating, in a devastating way, the way it is for our communities, I just wonder how it would be treated. Um, and at the same time, I'm hearing that it's, it's getting a lot worse in other communities as well. I'm seeing what's happening down in Florida and et cetera. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering if the, if the lack of concern that I, because it's like at first everyone was like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? And then the reports came out of the communities it was affecting, and I felt like people kind of eased up. And um, yeah, it just it it definitely plays in my mind every day, and I just find myself kind of screaming on my computer screen, writing up Twitter drafts, and then uh, <laughs> deleting them because I'm just I'm I'm angry and I'm upset and I'm also confused because I don't know what truths were being told. Yeah. Well, I mean, my own perspective on that is that um, you can't be all wrong, right? That I think a lot of what you just said is real. And I'll give you an analogy, and I'm even uncomfortable saying this, but I, I do, I've, when the first time I heard it, it really st stuck with me. If you remember the, the group of mostly what I saw were men, and they were white men who went to the Michigan State House month or so ago with those heavily armed and I saw it somewhere somebody brought it up to me and it's like, imagine if all those people had been black how, how would people have reacted and and I thought you know it was kind of shocking to hear that in a way but then as I as I sunk in I was like yeah you're totally right you're totally right it would have been reacted to in a very different way now I can't prove that but that's what my heart tells me and that's an analogy to what you're saying. I mean, it's a bummer. Mm -hmm. It's it's sad. But I would wonder, like, if we all asked ourselves that question, really ask yourself that question. Like, what do you really think would happen? And how might those same people who were there that day react? Those same people. Now, I don't know them. I can't necessarily judge them. I'm speaking in total generalizations here. But I still think that. It's hard for me to let that go. I don't even have my thoughts formulated. I was just going to say that that is something I've been seeing too. Just seeing those images um, of just, yeah, very heavily armed. I can't, um, I just can't fathom. I can't imagine any, I'm also thinking about, it also makes me think of the, all the stories of just like uh, black people who I know who uh, have, um, who, have the you know they have um what my mind is just drawing a blank right now they're legally allowed to carry they're legally allowed to carry um there we go <laughs> um and just that fear that they have um people i know actually um even you know you know my husband or whatever he's uh he's 
Cuban and all types of other brown <laughs> identities. Um, but what it means to be able to walk with that freedom and to, to have that freedom. It's, I don't even have, personally, I'll say, me, I don't own a weapon. But even if uh, I'm around someone who does, like I have that fear, like, well, that could get us in trouble, knowing that it's a, it's a legal thing. So it's just that frustration. Um, and then when you feel like you have to prove to people that that's a legitimate fear, um, it's, there's no words to describe it, yeah. Uh, I was just going to comment on the irony of those armed protesters called the Michigan State Militia people who tend to correlate very much with small government, um, you know, high resiliency, uh, strong Second Amendment, get out of my face kind of folks um, haven't really shown up and and been protesting against uh, the government, you know, killing black men and the government overreaching in that area. So. You know, and look, let, so that's, you know, it's sort of a philosophical view. But to be clear, there is a very, very easy to see um, evidenced example of groups like that not only having neo-Nazi affiliations, obviously. And a number of the protesters in Michigan, just for example, had neo-Nazi tattoos and garb. Um, but taking one step further, um, and this is where people might, I might lose some folks, but ru the Russian government inciting and supporting those groups in America now. Those are facts. Just while we're on the topic. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, the thing I wonder about, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you here today, Alicia, among many, but... Um, We live in a world where it's hard to have time to think about these things. And, and that often when you sort of thought about these things and considered these things, I mean, I, I used to listen to the radio every morning, uh, an NPR station, and I used to listen to the news. And I don't even do that anymore. I don't watch the news. I do read the news. I don't watch the news. And now I don't listen to the news. And what I'm finding is I have more time to contemplate and think and just be human. And so the conversation we're having right now, which, you know, somebody somebody probably doesn't like what I said about Michigan or whatever, you know, and. Um, and then my question is, OK. What would you do with 20 minutes to think about it? Now, I'm not saying they might say, well, nothing. I was like, OK, fine. But we don't have time to think about things. We don't have to have time to consider things. And like and that's where I you know, that's where love takes hold. Like that's that moment where that thing happens where, you know, the thing I keep going back to, and I don't know if you were there, Alicia or RP, either one of you, but the moment for me at last, so, so Brian Stevenson won the audience award last year. There was a variety of special moments. I showed you on stage, Alicia. Um, the one that sticks with me the most was the last, second to last person on stage, which was Tantra Love. And Tantra Love is a woman who's a black woman from she lives in Oakland and she's an elementary school teacher. And she told a story on stage where she said she was uh, afraid in Nantucket, right? And, you know, you had to be there because trust me, I'm not going to do a good job recounting this. But you, so just I hope you can trust to know that I know that I can't do this well. But she talked about feeling unsafe and she she cried. She teared up in the moment. And I remember sitting there thinking, 
holy shit, do people have a some in window to truth right now that is so powerful. Now, here's the thing. She wasn't scheduled to speak then. That was not a plan. She didn't know she was going to realize that then. There's no chance we were going to have that moment unless we had time together. Time it was the gift. And she was a gift, and other things were a gift, and Brian was a gift, and you were a gift. And in many ways, you probably set her up, and so many things had happened. But what really happened was we let the world be organic. We had a moment to sit there and think about it. I'll never think about it differently again for the rest of my life because I do generally know that she was safe. That doesn't freaking matter. It doesn't matter if I think she was safe. What matters is how she felt. And if you, if you had any faith in humanity and you were listening to her, it's like, wow, I just got an amazing lesson. You're not going to get that lesson flying through Instagram. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, social media, it's, it's uh, to very briefly talk about that, it's, it's very informative. I need it, but it, um, I don't want to use the word need. It's very informative, but at the same time, you could just kind of get lost in it. Um, but yeah, those in-person things, I remember that moment. I remember the moment, I'm pretty sure, where we were, we had like a side event. Yeah. I think that and that's when it was kind of passed to her. Yes. Someone said, I'm going to go ahead and just, and I think that was represent, that was just like a, uh, it was just a good metaphor or, or just for everything we kind of need right now. It's like to pass that mic and to say, hey, you need to speak right now and we're going to make time for you. And that was so, that was so powerful. Um, and I, I definitely second, uh, I mean, I, I feel a lot of what she felt. Um, I don't think the emotion she had, I didn't have as much. I don't want to say it was like identical, but I do remember walking around those streets and going, okay, <laughs> you know, I definitely uh, feel kind of like one of the odd ones here. Um, and that's something, that's a constant thought. And another a thought that follows that is like, how many people notice me? Uh, how many people are okay with me? And it's not that that's going to affect it's not that that's going to change the way I feel about myself or I'm going to go in my hotel room and, and cry personally, but it is going to sit with me and um, it, it has long-term effects, you know, those thoughts. And you kind of just got to, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, I just got to kind of suck it up, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I thought about that. I thought, I thought about the streets I'm choosing to walk on. And I also think about how many other people have to have these thoughts, um, let me go this way because I see more people walking this way. And I know women in general will have those thoughts, but I do feel like it's increased the more um, identities you have, um, the more intersecting identities you have. And yeah, there's been times I'm like, okay, it's getting a little dark. So let me go that way. And it's not just because, oh, I'm a woman by myself. It's also because this is a predominantly white area. I've never been here before. I'm on a damn island. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, it's, it, you have terrifying moments um but I will say there was something about being there that didn't feel as bad as like when I'm walking in a like a suburb like maybe I don't know a few miles from here or from where I grew up in South Jersey um it felt a little bit it felt more safe than those areas but I still acknowledge where I'm at and to not get too comfortable yeah I'm so happy you were at that other meeting because what happened was there was about 20 or so of us, I don't remember approximately, who were having another meeting. And it happened in that meeting that one of the speakers sort of stepped aside and said, I want to have this conversation with you is what happened. And so the, the, and the point of that is that 
there was room to do that. There was relationships had developed and proximity, right? It was proximity that was sort of bringing it to the moment. And it was the unplanned uh, beauty of that moment that brought on that moment. Now, we're going to make a film about that. And hopefully we can capture some of it in that film. You can't always capture those things. We'll do our best. Um, but I'm glad you were there. Yeah, that's cool. You know, at the beginning, we talked about Juneteenth as something that many Americans are discovering, and it may well be that many white Americans are discovering for the first time. I don't know. I mean, I know enough to know I don't know, right? I know that. Um, but, you know, the predominant story of Juneteenth in my world is new. The predominance of yeah. it. You, you know, when you, when you first said it, it actually struck me um, not as like you were trying to make it seem like it was like this thing that no one's heard of before, but I did think it was interesting because um, not trying to compare you to the president, but he did just make a statement saying like, nobody's ever heard of June, Juneteenth before. Right. Um, and as much as I thought that was interesting coming from him, uh, I also think that in white America, a lot of people haven't really heard it or acknowledged it. Might've heard of it, but it hasn't really been like, oh, this is something I think about consciously every year. Um, but I didn't grow up in a household that taught me about things like that. Not trying to uh, dismiss, you know, or, you know, disrespect my, my parents or anything, but we just wasn't like a conscious family. It's just like, put a roof over your head, do good in life. <laughs> um, but when I got to the Philadelphia community and branched out and got to the poetry community, Juneteenth is something I heard of constantly. So it makes me think uh, of all the things that I've learned in that very, I guess, for the word everybody's using and dismissing now is like woke, but I'll say like the conscious Philly community. Um, and the holiday did feel like this very, very uh, secret thing in the black community. It felt like we know about this, maybe other people do. And this is, I'm only speaking on behalf of myself, um, but I do find it very interesting how right now it's being talked about and I've even seen things from people who are from you know because it started off as a Texas holiday and I've seen people from Texas you know activists and people who have been celebrating this in very big ways every year who are like they feel like it's kind of being co-opted or it's being erased and I'm wondering um even me being a, a black American like what does that are we celebrating it and I think I brought this up in the beginning are we doing this day justice um are we really taking time to think about what it means? The fact that two and a half years went by and a lot of us still thought we were, you know, enslaved. Um, and somebody was just like, okay, now you can go ahead. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that I'm grateful. You know, even you saying that I'm grateful people are, are learning, but at the same time is that I, I really hope that we're, um, yeah, taking a moment, taking time, bringing that word back to really sit and yeah, see what it means to all of us. Yeah, I, I totally appreciate what you're saying. And I, um, if I were to speak for myself, based on what you just said, it relates to what I originally said. It's new to me. That's, that's, that's my experience is it's new to me. And I'm sure, again, influenced by what you just said, uh, I don't understand the significance of it. I mean, only a little bit. Um, so I appreciate it. I, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. 
I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it will never, I will never not have a moment where I'm like, ah, oh, okay, when I hear someone say it, yeah, it's like, it's just, I'm just hearing about it. I'm always going to have that reaction. It's like, interesting. But I also, you know, I'd rather someone be honest and be like, yeah, I've, I've heard about this forever because I, I can't stand yeah. that type of, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being honest as well. Um, and I'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. Um, RP, you want to say anything before Alicia? No, thank you. I, I, um, I, I had not heard of it really either, which is uh, kind of stunning to me. Uh, so this poem right here, I originally wrote for a, um, it was a death penalty focused event here in Los Angeles and they asked me to write a poem about uh, abolishing the death penalty. And then I have been editing it over time. So this is where it's at right now um, to reflect what's happening now. My baby brother was charged for a murder he did not commit. He, a young man born in a city that reeks of death, spent two years behind bars thinking of death only. It's Khalif Browder was not a black boy. A backpack wouldn't have been grounds for imprisonment. I'm thinking Sabrina Butler survived seven years on death row by dreaming about her living child after being accused of murdering the one she could not revive. The definition of revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Maybe in America, this is a myth. Maybe mostly for the black, the marginalized, the poor, those who could be added to the numbers as if we do not count the seconds that maple sap themselves inside a single person sized cell. Nothing about this is sweet, just slow, just debilitating to the mind and muscle. And this is how you commit a crime. Actually, the American justice system kills a spirit, funds a police force, kills a camera, kills a body, films the dead. Nothing about this is TV. The so-called criminal here on this land is oftentimes innocent, oftentimes a bias, a false conviction away from home, from programming, from resources, from home, from home. The actual criminal here on this land is the one who always gets to go home after the cover-up after the coercion, after the cup of coffee, after the gavel, after the promotion. This is how you commit a crime. Actually, take away the touch, take away the empathy, take away the sunlight and ask them what do they see? Nothing. According to Damien Eccles, who said, quote, I miss the stars, you know. I haven't seen the stars in years and years and years, end quote. And we could ask Troy Davis, but the missing the missing is a person forced to cave in on their self over and over during and long after the sentencing. I am not saying I do not believe in accountability. I'm saying I believe in it just. I'm saying I believe in it lowercase, something that at least tries to see the human, bring the human back, something that recognizes how come is a question mark, not a period. Admit there is no justice here, period. Admit it is more about power and paper than a penalty, period. Count the statistics, grab it, a hold of reality, the facts inside of your fist until they fester. In other words, get a good grip and let this system go. Mm -hmm.